This teaching comes to you from the team at Anchor Church Sydney. We hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources or info, check out our website www.anchorchurch.com.au Blessed is the one. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Hey guys, how are we? Arnaldo here, uh, and I'm one of the pastors here, and in fact, uh, this is my last sermon as one of the pastors at Anchor Church City. Uh, We're going to be taking a couple weeks off, annual leave, and then when we come back on October the 18th, uh, we're actually going to be gathering together to commission us out. And so this is, um, this is a special night as we record in a special morning as we air this Uh, and I'm just honored to think about the years that I was able to serve you guys as a gospel communities pastor, as a children's pastor, as an equipped pastor and as a church planning resident. Um, And so thank you so much for praying with us, praying for us and we pray, I want to ask you to continue to pray for us particularly as we take some time off before we hit eject. And the whole team's going to be taking a couple weeks off as well. And so if you can just continue to lift us up uh, in prayer, uh, that's what we need the most during this season. And so thank you guys for allowing me to serve you in this way. And so before we begin, uh, I'm going to pray for us uh, for this morning as you gather together, whether you are uh, home, alone, in bed, at a park, whether you're gathering with your church at home group, with your gospel communities. uh, I want to say it's a real honor and pleasure to be with you this morning. So help me to pray, and then we'll jump straight into Psalm 8, uh, which I'm very, very, very excited to speak on uh, for us today. Let me pray. Father, thank you again for your goodness to us. Uh, We thank you that you, in fact, are good. Uh, We don't want to look over that. Uh, You are good to us in a billion ways. Uh, the, The many ways that we forget to thank you for, we ask Now, Lord, that you would bring to remembrance the things, the the, the many graces that you've given to us. Uh, The grace of your word, the grace of gathering, the the grace of being together, even if it means being together digitally. And we thank you for these graces. And now I pray, Lord, as we open up your word, your your holy and beautiful and perfect word, uh, would you help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful and help you to remember the things that will be helpful? And particularly, even now, we pray for those who are far from you, Jesus, that this word would bring them near, not because of me, but because of your powerful Holy Spirit working in their lives. 
And so we thank you for all these things uh, in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. You know, museums are uh, one of my favorite places to visit, period, anywhere. I remember growing up in New York City and having fond memories of visiting the American Museum of Natural History. And I remember walking in as a kid, and as soon as you walk in into the foyer, there's this humongous blue whale suspended from the ceiling. I mean, this thing is majestic in this huge complex. And I just remember the feelings of just awe and, and beauty. And I love museums because they're an exploration of the world, an exploration of humanity, even, even our origins. And sometimes museums even transgress into the area of philosophy, where they not only talk about the, the origin of humanity, but the telos of humanity, like the purpose, the goal of humanity, exploring purpose and meaning and goals. Much like the Smithsonian Human Origin Initiative in Washington, D.C., and their goal is to expand public understanding of human evolution. In their own words, they say this, the past decade has seen astonishing discoveries about human origins that captivate the imagination. We walk on two legs, make tools, have large brains. We solve complex problems and communicate through language and, and art. We express our feelings and our spirituality. How did we acquire these extraordinary qualities? Are we still evolving or are we it, the endpoint of the evolutionary story? And these questions excite the deepest levels of human curiosity about our own identity and origins and help shape one of the most awe-inspiring areas of scientific inquiry. What does it mean to be human? And I would say that's uh, teetering on, on a philosophical inquiry. But they continue, the theme of the Human Origins Initiative of the Smithsonian Institution reflects on uh, one of humanity's most profound quests. The initiative's goal is to explore the universal human story at its broadest time scale. It seeks to stimulate new research findings that deepen an understanding of what makes our species unique and how we came to be. And I love that. And wherever you may sit on the spectrum of whether the biblical story of a God who creates with beauty and purpose and intention, whether that uh, meshes well with Darwinian evolution, that's not my question here today, unfortunately for you, if that's what you came here for. Uh, but that's not my question that I'm going to answer today. The question I want to answer is actually the same question that the Smithsonian put to the public. So they put to the public this question. What does it mean to be human? What does it actually mean to be human? And they received over 3,500 responses. I read some, I couldn't read all, uh, but many, they, they varied widely from one another. Many were set to the tune of, to be human is to find yourself, to be true to yourself. And we know that song, we know that tune. The story uh, of authenticity being at the core of our humanity. Other respondents gave fuller and more beautiful accounts about what it means to be human, and others disparaged others' opinions, which kind of showed their humanity, right? But that's neither here nor there. My, but my favorite one was this, the one that captures, I believe, in large part, the way that our culture, our culture sentiment is towards this question, what even are we? What are humans? Underneath all of the vague and sentimental answers, it comes from an anonymous person from Michigan. And so remember, the question is, what does it mean to be human? 
And Mr. or Mrs. John Doe or Jane Doe from Michigan said, Don't know, eh? Literally. It sounds more like an Australian than someone from, from Michigan. Uh, but as cute as that may sound or as funny as that may sound, it shows the tragic reality of our waywardness, of our lostness, of the ways we clamor and fail to find an answer to one of the most basic questions we can ask ourselves. What even are we? What are we? What is humanity? And how we answer this question will shape what we do. And in turn, what we do ends up shaping us, right? Because what we do does something to us. And one of our central desires here at Anchor for you and for us and for our communities is that we wouldn't waste our waiting, that we wouldn't have wasted our lockdown, that we would not simply see this just as a problem or just as an inconvenience, which they are in many ways, but as an opportunity to follow Christ in the messiness of life, in the, in the grayness of life, in, 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 in the spaces where things aren't quite black and white. And so as we wait, what does it mean to be human? And this is precisely the question that David wants us to think about, wants us to inhabit, and wants us to live out the answer to. This is not just a, a philosophical inquiry. This is not something that stays up in the, the heady regions of the mind. But this question, or rather the answer to this question, is one that needs to be embodied, to be understood, to be loved, to be lived out of. And so Psalm 8 is the first hymn of praise that we find in the Psalter, and it begins with this exclamation of praise. And it's, a, it's also known as a, a creation psalm, which means it has heavy thematic links to particularly Genesis 1 and 2 and the ways that God has created the world. And so I want to read a bit for us here, and then we're going to pause, we're going to talk about it a bit, and then we're going to move on. So David, first off, he sets the scene by giving us three ideas. In verses 1, 2, and 3, he talks first about, before he talks about what we are or even asks the question about who we are or what we are, he, he wants to situate us with three things that need to be in place in order for that question to make sense. The three things are God's glory, God's justice, and God's world. Verse 1, he says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. That, that word glory, above the heavens. Now, in Hebrew thought, the heavens were the furthest regions of the universe. If you ever read in the scriptures, uh, heaven and earth put together, it's, it's called a, a merism, which means it, it includes everything. And so to think about something that is above the heavens is to actually transcend where even the human imagination can go. And so here, from the get, we have this God, this Lord, Yahweh, right? That's his, that's his personal name, Yahweh. His glory is set above the heavens. And then he goes on in verse 2. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. And so not, not only is David wanting to situate us uh, with God's glory being above the heavens, but then it takes a pretty a strange turn. And in the Old Testament, 
I, I looked at this and, and babies are mentioned about 20 times in the Old Testament. And I wonder, well, what, what, does that, what does that have to do with, with anything here? And generally speaking, when babies are mentioned, it carries quite negative connotations. Not that babies are bad, uh, but that, that uh, the cries of a baby are cries of injustice, cries of oppression. And so not only does, does uh, David want us to think about God's glory being above the heavens, but then he turns our eye to the injustice on the earth. And so not only do we think about God's glory and God's justice, and that's why he has to establish his strength against the enemy and against the avenger, but then he looks up. He looks up. And he says this in verse 3, follow with me. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, and he looks up. So not only does David ponder God's glory and God's justice, but then he, he looks at God's world. And you can imagine how many times David would have had the opportunity to see the majesty of the stars in the sky. You know, growing up in New York City, I rarely saw stars. I mean, the light pollution is so thick that it was, it was a rare instance to see a star. It wasn't until I was about 19 or 20 years old where I went upstate to, uh, to a youth camp, to an, a young adult camp rather, uh, and saw the night sky for the very first time. And, and I tell you, I can't, even now as, as I stand here, it, I feel that still. It's like, you know, when you see a picture or you, you see a meme and you, you see it or you smell it or you, you can hear it, I, I can feel the way right now I felt the very first time that I saw the night sky with very little to no light pollution. And you can imagine how many times young David as a young shepherd boy in ancient Israel would have been out and about tending to his sheep, looking up at the sky. And over and over and over again, he would have been confronted with the vastness of God. And I don't know if you've been confronted with the vastness of God. I don't know if you in your hustle and your bustle in the ways that we have organized our time and in the ways that often maybe even now as we've been working from home and not maybe being able to get out as much or having to cancel that trip that you had to explore God's world. I, I wonder if you've ever been confronted with the vastness of God, a God who can create all of this with his finger. What is man, verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Right? So there's this glory you have to uphold. There's this justice you have to enact. There is this world that you created with your finger. But man, what, what, is, what is man that you, that you care for him? And in light of this ridiculous and mysterious and beautiful and inescapable vastness of creation, what even are we? No way. But the next few verses paints the picture for us. And it's interesting, it's interesting how David answers this question because he doesn't answer it in quite the same way that the Smithsonian answers it. In fact, he doesn't really even answer it the way that we probably would attempt an answer. 
David doesn't answer the question according to biological composition or touch on the topic of the means uh, by which God used to create or the purpose, uh, or rather the process that God used to create humanity. Rather, David answers the question by giving us these things, the location and the vocation of humanity and creation. The location and the vocation. Read with me here in verse 5. Right? And just, I want you to keep that question in mind. What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Yet, you have made him a little lower than Elohim. And this word, heavenly beings, depending on what translation you are carrying, uh, can be translated as heavenly beings or capital G God or lower G gods or spiritual beings. And this word Elohim here, and we can't get into it too deeply, but I'm going to provide a resource for you uh, to do that. Uh, this word Elohim is an ancient, in ancient biblical worldview, is a category of being. It's a type of being. And there are beings that God created to rule through in the heavenly realm, right? So Elohim, this word spiritual beings, are a type of being that God created to rule through in the heavenly realms. And you have all different kinds of Elohim, all different kinds of heavenly beings in the Old Testament. You have angels, which usually we, we tend to think th those are the only kind of heavenly beings that there are, but we have angels and we have cherubim and, and cherubim. We have all these different types of heavenly beings. And, and again, while I don't have the time right now to explain, they were created so that God can rule through them in the heavenly realm. And when you read things in the Old Testament, particularly as we get a glimpse of the glory of God and the throne room, you have these heavenly beings worshiping. You have these heavenly beings that God put in on the, at the gate of Eden to not allow humanity to enter back in. You have these ferocious beings. And here it says, what's the location of humanity? just a little lower than the heavenly beings. Another translation talks about it. We, we've barely missed being heavenly beings. And not only that, but if you could read on with me, and crowned him with glory and honor. So, back in verse 1, you have that same word glory, this, this heaviness, right? And that same glory that is above the heavens is now given as a crown to humanity. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? And this is the answer that David gives us. That we are royalty. That we are kings and queens. And David is jealous to help us understand, to help us get what we actually are. That we are kings and queens. And so our location is slightly below the heavenly beings, and yet we are crowned with the glory that sits above the heavens. We are a beautiful paradox. We are made of dirt, and yet we are crowned with glory. Are you, are you getting the exalted picture that, that God has of humanity? His point of view on his creation, the apex of 
his creation. But David doesn't just give us the location of humanity being just a little lower than the heavenly beings and the Elohim, uh, but he also gives us our vocation as a way to answer what even are we. Continue with me in verse 6. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. Everything. Everything that God has made, verses 7 and 8 later on tell us. Sheep and oxen, beasts of the field, birds in the heavens, fish in the sea, even those strange sea creatures at the edge of the sea. Everything is under the dominion of humanity. That is our vocation. We were meant, we were created to rule and to reign. In the same way that God creates Elohim, spiritual beings, to rule through in the heavenly plane, God creates Adam, humanity, to rule on the earthly plane. We are meant to be kings and queens that God would enact his sovereign rule through us. That is what it means to be human. And our vocation is to unfurl the creative possibilities of God's good creation. That is what we were created to do, to be culture makers, to take what is here and rearrange it in such a way that it unfurls the potentiality that is hidden within creation to take creation to its intended end. And we find this not just in Psalm 8, but in the very beginning of the scriptures. We, we find that in Genesis 1 and 2. And in fact, the same language that is used here for dominion is the same language that is used in Genesis 1 about the vocation that God gave the sun and the moon to have dominion over the night and the day. And we are to rule. But we know, I know, you know, you felt it, that dominion has, and power, dominion and power often have negative connotations in our post-Genesis 3 world, post-fall world. Dominion and power has been used almost exclusively to the detriment of those with little social, economic, or physical strength. And yet, Yet, this is not the way that power, this is not the way that dominion was intended to be used. Power, dominion, ruling, reigning is a gift that when wielded as God intended, unfurls the beautiful possibilities in God's good creation. Dominion, language, right? Dominion, rule, reign, that language is not a divinely given license to rape the earth or destroy creation for this doctrine of unfettered economic growth. We are to be loving and faithful and gentle stewards of God's good earth. Old Testament scholar and biblical commentator John Golden Gay, as he wrestles with this text in Psalm 8, he says this, and in, in, in its relation to Genesis, he says this, Genesis 1 was not devastatingly undone by that human failure in Genesis 3. Human disobedience did not undo God's placing the animate world under humanity's authority any more than it eliminated the divine image from humanity. Our vocation now is to work 
for the completing of God's creation project. I want you to hear that, that our vocation, your vocation, no matter what you do, it is to do this, to work for the completing of God's creation project. And yet, again, and yet, while this rings true, while our location in the world is just lower than the heavenly beings, than the Elohim, and while our vocation is to be kings and queens under the authority of the king of kings, while our vocation is supposed to actually bring flourishing, supposed to bring shalom to creation, we look at our world and think, really? Is it even possible in a post-Genesis 3 world? You know, we look at Adam and Eve and they failed to bring about this vision. We look at Israel as God started over, as he tried to create a new community, a new humanity, as they failed almost as soon as they received the covenant in the desert. Over and over again, we fail just like our father Adam and just like the nation of Israel. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. Israel was supposed to be what God can do with a broken community of people who follow him. And yet they failed and they're exiled and they're scattered to the wind. And we follow in their footsteps. In fact, we're born with a penchant to do so. Every single one of us is compromised by sin. Every single one of us uses our God-given talents to elevate ourselves at the expense of others, at the expense of creation. We use our power to denigrate and to dehumanize and ravage the creation. And listen, and this at speeds the world has never seen before. And so, we know this is still true. We know that we were made to rule and to reign, but we continually fail to live up to our God-given potential. So what are we to do. How can we fulfill the mandate that God's given us to rule well, to enact his sovereign rule through us? I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Now, the book of Hebrews is an anonymous uh, letter or sermon that was written to Hebrew Christians. Um, And this is what the book of Hebrews chapter 2 says as it actually takes up Psalm 8 and applies it in a fresh way. Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to start reading from verse 6. It has been testified somewhere. And and, and that by itself should encourage you. Uh, Oftentimes we can remember where something in the Bible is. Somewhere in the Bible it says this. Uh, And the Hebrews does that as well. So it has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? Now, maybe you weren't paying attention so far. That's fine. Maybe you're just tuning in, but that should ring some bells. You made him for a a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with, the, with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. But listen to this. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. That's the tension we feel. 
God, we're supposed to rule. We're supposed to reign. We're supposed to have the capacity to unfurl the beautiful potential in, in creation. And yet what we dig up are, 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 are weeds and frustration. And, and our, we're complicit and we are compromised by our own sin. What, how are we going to take back up this mantle of being rulers and reigners? To rule and to reign. How are we to do this? Verse 9 in, in Hebrews 2. But we see him. Right? So, so we don't see at the moment everything in subjection to humanity as it was intended to be. But we see him. We, we, we don't see what, what we were supposed to do. What, the mantle that we were supposed to take up. But we see him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, who, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And it's, it's Jesus here, the new head and representative of humanity that makes it possible for us to fulfill the creation mandate as we partner with God. It's, it's Jesus who shared in our flesh and our blood, the, the book of Hebrews continues to say, who, the one who created, listen, the one, I, I get hype, I'm sorry. The one, the one, listen, the one who created those stars, the, the one with his, the, with his finger created the universe, became subject to death. To make it possible for us to exercise dominion in such a way that doesn't lead creation into chaos, but unfurls the beautiful potential for the sake of shalom, of peace, of unfettered goodness. It's Jesus who was made like us to be a propitiation for the sins of the people in order that we may be released from the power of Satan, sin, and death. You see, Jesus here takes up the mantle of humanity. Jesus becomes human so that he can be the one in Psalm 8 who is crowned with glory and honor, who in fact does and is the one who will take creation to its intended purpose, goal, and end. And I want you to see something here that when the scriptures talk about salvation, it is not talking about saving souls. I need you. I, I, I'm jealous that you would get that out of your mind. That when the scriptures talk about salvation, it's about bringing humanity and all of creation with it afterwards to the fullness of what God has, has mandated for them, for their God-given location and vocation. Salvation is holistic. Salvation one day will touch every single thing that sin has destroyed. Mind, body, soul, creation, matter. We are not Platonists. We do not believe that somehow Jesus came to give us some special knowledge of some sort to rescue the soul from the body. No, Jesus came in flesh to redeem flesh. And one day, all of creation will be healed. Irenaeus, a church father, in the second century said this, The glory of God is man fully alive. 
The glory of God is man fully alive. So what does this look like for you in your waiting? What does it look like to partner with God in what he is doing? What does it look like to live into our location and our vocation? And first, if you're not a Christian, I, I implore you now to be reconciled to God, to become a disciple of Jesus, to apprentice yourself to him, to repent of the destructive ways you've tried to exercise your role as a, as a human being in this world, to turn from the vain idols, the things that we have propped up in our lives, in our hearts, to justify ourselves with. And I pray that you would turn and repent to the one who knows you, who sees you, who loves you. But second, take this week to think about your own spheres of influence. Moms and dads and teachers and social workers and students and husbands and wives and service industry workers and lawyers and law enforcement, chaplains, pastors, artists, painters, baristas, financial planners, photographers, sons and daughters and grandparents, civil engineers and architects, doctors and nurses and wards and flight attendants and travel agents and warehouse workers, retail staff, managers, CEOs, CFOs, COOs, accountants, songwriters, friends, professors, sanitation workers, small business owners, dog groomers, vets, beauty salon workers, cashiers, roommates, wherever you are, you exercise dominion. You exercise influence. You can, with the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, be the king and the queen there, right there in your sphere of influence. There's no such thing there's no such one that does not exercise some measure of influence and authority and culture making in some way. Particularly the stay at home uh, parents or work from home parents now out there who feel their kingdom is built upon whinging and tantrums and drop offs and pickups and never ending laundry and a sink full of dishes and nappies that are coming out of your nose all the way up to the ceiling. What kind of influence is that? But I want to tell you this, that the way that culture is changed is by the smallest units. And you are a culture maker. You create the space there in your home and you have human beings who were made a little lower than the angels who are crowned with glory and honor in your care. And it is our job then, it's your job to bring them to the knowledge of Jesus, to, to, to show them what it looks like to be an apprentice of Jesus, to show them the beautiful and humble sacrifices that we can make for the King. Your job is not small. Your job is not to be taken lightly. You get, mom and dad, in your homes, you get to enact God's loving and gracious rule there. That is a massive calling. That is no small thing. And I want you to ask yourselves this deceivingly simple question. Every single one of you, ask yourselves this deceivingly simple question. How can you now, as someone who is filled with the Spirit of God, unfurl creation's goodness to the glory of God. Put it another way, how can you begin to intentionally inch this creation little by little towards God's intended purposes?
And all of this is armed, is aimed rather to the simple question, what is man? What is Adam? What is Enosh? What is man? That you are mindful of him, the son of man, that you care for him. Well, brother, sister, your king, your queen, made in the image of your loving creator, whose purpose for you is to partner with him in seeing this creation made whole. And so the question is, are you going to take up the call? Is this something that you want? Do you want to give up on your small dreams that this culture paints for us as the good life and say, absolutely not. I will not give myself to lesser things because God has equipped us with the spirit, with a vision of what he is doing in this, in this world and in this part of the world to unfurl the beautiful potential of creation. And towards that end, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the, the author and the perfecter of our faith, that you are the one that when Israel failed and when Adam failed and when we fail, you come up and take the mantle for us and we are united with you by faith. And what is true of you, Jesus, is true of us. We have been crucified with Christ. We have been raised with Christ. And one day we'll be bodily raised. And even now, Paul reminds us that we are seated in the heavenlies with Jesus right now. And so, Lord, help us not to give ourselves to cheap imitations of what the good life is. Help us not to sell our souls for a bowl of porridge. Help us not to give up a vacation at the sea to play with some mud in the backyard. Help us to understand and see our location as being made just a little lower than the angels, a little lower than the heavenly beings, a little lower than Elohim, and yet crowned with glory and honor. And we await the day with full, healthy bodies and healthy minds and perfect relationships. We await the day when you come back, Jesus, and we will experience the potential of creation till its fullest. And we await the day where we get to see you face to face. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. But well, we love you guys. Uh, we hope you have been blessed. Um, as I said, I want to provide for you some more resources, particularly around some of the things that we spoke about today. So just watch out for that. Uh, and if you can continue to pray for us at Anchor Southwest as we continue to build a core team and uh, to uh, do what God has called us to do in the Southwest, uh, we would love that you can partner with us in prayer. So we love you and we'll see you soon. Bless you.